This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 148. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for another Sunday, the first one of February here uh, in the great Midwest. And a lot of hockey, of course, to recap, as always. A lot of stuff going on in men's hockey, of course, around college hockey. A bit of a subdued week again, all things considered. But I got to be honest, Dartmouth almost became everybody's hero. I'm just going to put it that way. (laughs) Could have been really interesting. I think you and I looked before, Nick. I think it it would have actually only dropped Quinnipiac down like one or two spots. It wouldn't have actually been as damaging as we want to think it would have been. But it it would have been interesting nonetheless. Uh, So we'll we'll recap everything around the NCAA's uh, college hockey then, of course, get to the NCHC, the men's side, four or six points for the Huskies on the weekend. Is that good? Is that bad? Should Brett Larson still have a job? We're going to dissect all of that, apparently. Um, yeah, I I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and then the women's side, a pretty impressive showing for them yeah. this weekend, all things considered. So we'll definitely dive into that. Minnesota Wild, we're off. We'll just get you up to speed on what they're up to. We were going to do an Iowa Wild deep dive this week. We're going to push that back a week because the men are actually off this upcoming weekend. So uh, we think it'll be more fitting to talk a little bit more in depth about the men's team because apparently it seems warranted if you go on Huskies Twitter. Uh, And then more intriguing news, the extra ice session. Is the Herbrooks National Hockey Center actually getting some upgrades? might be some information that might indicate that things might be moving in that direction closer than we think. So obviously a lot of exciting things. And of course, a jam-packed Center SU News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Nice few news and notes now now that we finally got through that whole debacle. Um, <laughs> speaking, Thanks. <laughs> speaking of uh, tragedies on ice, uh, Matthew Kachuk um, earning All-Star MVP with seven points. Um, it's kind of funny, Noah, that we talk about All-Star MVPs, um, especially when the All-Star games are what they are, right? Um, yeah. You wouldn't, nice. have, you wouldn't have known it because they were raving no. about Dylan Larkin the entire time, but honestly... Mm-hmm. I mean, seven five was the final. The Atlantic, you know, beating the Central for the first time since they switched to that divisional format in twenty sixteen. But like, um, really, seven a, two was three like garbage time yeah. goals too. Like, yeah, what yeah. a boring like yeah. game. Like the weekend was really flat, and I think they're really struggling for 
like even things to do like in the skills comp yeah um, they are it's i i don't know it's just it really fell flat i think in a lot of aspects honestly are they trying too hard i mean it How- kind of feels that way you know where yeah um and i don't want to crap on florida or especially south florida because you're going up to northwest florida that place is hockey crazy up there in tampa yeah. but you, you kind of wonder and I know there's there's been conversations about All Star games around sports in general. You know, the Pro Bowl, uh, yeah. the NBA All Star game. Uh, you know, is it, you know, is it even worth it anymore? Kind of thing, um, just because you know there's so much time and resources uh, that go into these types of events, and it just doesn't yeah. seem like it. It brings back what it you know what you put into it, but who knows? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely need to refresh a lot of things for sure yeah the skills comp i think is more relevant than the actual game i think a lot of people like tuning into that to see you know what players can do obviously hard to shot is always a big draw always has been especially when you know big z was in it all those years ago also had a shameless plug by the way spit and chicklets had a really good interview with sedeno chara um a couple weeks ago i would highly recommend checking that out i mean it was probably one of the best interviews i've heard in the college hockey, college hockey, uh, hockey, hockey world in general. Also, very good one for college hockey, I suppose. Um, but seriously, I, I mean, I was very, my marbles, my God. <laughs> I mean, very, very articulate in the way that he, you know, talks about his journey and stuff. And you can tell he's a very intelligent human, takes care of himself. So, I mean, it was just, it was, you know, regardless of what you think about Zidane Chara, I think you'll have a lot of respect for him after that one. I just want to throw that out there because it was just that good. Um, the All Star game wasn't, and no. I, I don't. I don't know what you do in the skills comp. I mean, there were some really creative ones. I remember back a couple of years ago, you used to have to pick the puck up and put it through like those little. That was St. Um, Louis. I think it's, yeah. I thought St. Louis's skills competition was yeah. pretty good. Um, Any, anything, uh, anything with an obstacle course. I don't know why they didn't have anything, you know, related to that because obstacle course are kind of like the coup de gras of like how good you are. One of the other things that, so like the Toros had their own skills competition, for example, and one of the things they did really well that I didn't think was going to work well, and then it did, they did an obstacle course, but they did it where you you worked with your team to do it. So like the first guy did the slalom, and then he had to hit a guy with a pass on the next side. Then so he like did a relay. Like, yeah. 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 That was really cool because it, it it's multiple components that are time that you have to do. So um, like maybe something like that. I mean, obviously, accurate shooter is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, fast like, skate, skater is like- good. I like the way they did the accurate shooter instead of having it one by one. Uh, at least, you know, the, the opening round was that one, you know, one versus the clock. And then it was the 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 two duels, essentially. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I, that was a nice twist on that. The other thing, Noah, that we forget about this is um, a lot of the players. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov was supposed to participate in the fastest skater. He switched. Yeah. So it's you're also fighting some of the players' personalities, own wishes, that kind of thing. So I don't yeah. know. Um, how do you fix it? You moved it to Toronto where nothing in yeah. Toronto gets scrutinized. Uh, so uh, they will be the host of the 2024 All-Star Game. And I would think that uh, as much as I want to say that's a that's a good move because it hasn't been there in a while, but I think it's a necessary move. And, you know, Toronto is going to really try to resurrect this thing. I think the NHL almost has to at this point because uh, yeah. this was it was just not a great showing in South Florida. Again, part of that is... The geographics part of it is that market has not been, shall we say, um, you know, warranted of a, a winning franchise in quite some time. Yeah. Sim- so, simpler is better. Like, I feel like yeah. if you're Toronto, you've got to go with like the old, 
you know, Clarence Campbell, Prince of Wales style jerseys and keep things simple. I think that's what a, a fan base up there, especially in Canada, would enjoy is kind of a, a throwback to like the legitimate early days of the All-Star game and keep things simple. Obviously, you know, try to find a way to be vintagely creative. But I think if you dial it back and kind of really pay homage to the history of the National Hockey League and what the All-Star game is, I think that's your best bet. And I think Toronto in a couple of years is certainly going to I don't where is it? Next year, I forget. Toronto. Oh yeah. Why do I keep thinking it's? <laughs> I honestly, I'm so I'm still stuck in 2022. I don't know why. I guess. Yeah. Well, while Noah finds where the heck his brain went, um, the Vancouver Canucks are searching for where their season went. Uh, well, in, in trying to figure that out, they decided, you know what, we can't figure out where this is going, so we're going to make a trade. And they did trade the big fish that was All Star center Bo Horvat. And ironically, talking about All Star game, did it essentially after the all-star game voting was completed. So uh, he goes to the New York Islanders um, in exchange. The Canucks get winger Anthony Beauvillier. They get uh, young forward uh, Aturati and then a conditional 2023 first round selection. Uh, so this was Monday. Uh, so this is a pretty big trade. Bo Hovart was supposedly the big fish on the board. Um, it's funny because he still played as part of the Western Conference uh, shall yeah. we say all stars, but had the Islanders jersey patch up on the the top of his left shoulder. <laughs> that was kind of weird. Um, so fifty four points in forty nine games played this season. He's having a career year. Um, Beauvillier um, has always been sort of that like that uh, journeyman, uh, good forward. You know, kind of more grit to his game. He's got twenty points on the season. And then uh, Raddy's played twelve games. He's a youngster. Isn't he like twenty twenty one? He's a young guy, right? Yeah, Raddy's a very young guy. Um, and I I don't know in the conditional twenty twenty three first. I I can't remember if it's top ten protected. I think, I think is what it's it was. All protected. Yeah. Um. So that's the thing is you know it could move to next year too. Mm-hmm. Bit of an overpay by the Islanders considering you don't have team control on Bo Horvat. I think mm-hmm. if they have it, it looks like a steal for them. Um, but right. until that component comes in, I don't really know who won this. The Canucks still lost somehow. <laughs> I know, I know that much, but yeah. And well, in the Islanders have got, I, I believe plenty of cap space. And again, when you make a trade like this for a, a player of, of his caliber, right? Just kind of what they did with, uh, Pajot, yeah. uh, is, you know, there's probably an extension already being worked on behind the scenes. Um, obviously, and here's and here's the interesting thing too. I know that um, a couple of people touched on this, but the timing is kind of curious too, right, Noah? Because the deadline is not for another month. In fact, it's what twenty eight days from now. It's March third, March fifth. Yeah. And the thought also some people had was, okay, so let's just say that we get Bor Horvat in, and it's just a complete disaster. Could they flip them? He could. Yeah. So there's that option, too. So it's it's not all lost. It's a bit of an overpay. Um, it's Lou Lamorello. So, I mean, come on. Um, but, you know, it's it's not all lost. So that if you can't salvage your season because it's, it's many people were looking at this as like, why are the Islanders buying the deadline? Um, since they're kind of trying to catch up in the in the playoff race. But uh, I still think it, it was a worthwhile swing at the bat. Um, yeah. Not to see where it goes. Right. Um Speaking of, uh, shall we say, news from the league, this one's a little bit more somber um, and, shall we say, controversial um, for some odd reason. So, And I say that because I get it, right? There's the human and there's the player. Um, Blackhawks legend Bobby Hull, um, the golden Brett, uh, dies at 84. 
uh, Golden Jet, sorry, um, 1,170 points over 16 seasons, um, won the Hart Trophy twice, Art Ross Trophy three times, um, helped the Blackhawks win um, the first Stanley Cup in franchise history in 1961, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1983, and was uh, named as to one of the NHL's most great 100 players back in 2017. Again, they did that whole series um, celebrating the game's 100th anniversary. Um, So this is where things get kind of goofy, right? Uh, 1986, uh, he was uh, convicted of assaulting a police officer um, who was intervening between looks like a, sounds like a domestic dispute between um, his then wife, Deborah. Um, Also has been charged with battery, um, but then it was dropped because she didn't want to testify against him. And then in 2002, um, his second wife also uh, claimed that he abused her. So, and that kind of all this sort of came out, right? It's it's yeah. interesting how we can we can certainly talk about the loss of a human being, right? And is it fair during that time? And I think this is the question, Noah. To is is it okay to, to acknowledge that? Yes, this this is a great player of the game, but also, you know, be okay to say, okay, off the ice, this guy had some issues. Yeah, I, you know, as much as I know people, you know, and I know family had even reached out on Twitter and said, this is a time to celebrate, you know, his, his life and what he did for the game of hockey. And we're going through the morning process, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Eugene Melnick situation. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, he ended up passing and then we kind of had this big discussion about, whoa, well, actually there was a lot behind the scenes that was going on here. Um, I I get the grieving process, but at the same time, I don't think it's unjust to discuss, you know, some personal things that were going on off ice. You know, I, I think that one of the things that we talk about is, you know, why do we celebrate great players of the game, right? You know, you think of your your Tamu Solanis, your, your Biore Sondlings, for example. We celebrate them not only because they're great hockey players, but because they paved inroads, for, in their case, for European players, but also were really good people foundationally off the ice. And I think that, you know, a couple of incidents does not make a lifetime. It doesn't mean that he was a horrible human being. But I think the accusations and the trend of what he was accused of are not great. Mm-hmm. And I think they're at least worth a mention. Now, should they totally detract from his passing early on during that process? No. But I think in time, we're going to, it sounds like an athletic article in the making, right? I mean, it sounds like they're going to probably tease that out at some point, I'm sure. But, uh, and no one not to cut you yeah. off, but isn't this sort of like the social media effect too? Because back in the day, you know, without Twitter, without, you know, it was the newspapers, right? They yeah. About these things. And it was sort of like a two step process, right? Where in a situation like Brett Hulls, your first article is about the passing the good accomplishments, right? And then a couple of days later, it was, or and maybe even after a ceremony, right? Um, it was, you know, essentially highlighting maybe some of those negative things, right? Whereas yeah. now you're kind of getting it in tandem, right? Yeah. And it's it's an interesting dynamic. And again, it's, as a, and I think it's more of a societal question than it is anything else, right? Is, you know, how do we want to portray, you know, people in, in this, you know, in this time of their, their life right or at the end of their life right and i think that's a question we have to kind of ask ourselves and again i think you're correct i mean it's we certainly are not trying to hide the fact that he did some terrible things off the ice there there's no question about that but i do kind of wonder you know are we you know are we so stuck on certain topics that 
you know, we can't take a step back and say, is this the right time for this? Not to say that there isn't yeah. a good time for it. Um, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious if there's, you know, just, okay, like right after the fact, you know, Tim, you know, let's just let the air breathe a little bit. Then we can certainly have that yeah. of hey, negatives. It's kind of a personal thing. I think like for me, I, and I've had this discussion personally with family members, of course, my mom's a nurse too, right? I think like people, for example, in the healthcare world, we view death a little bit differently, right? You know, like we view it where, oh, he was 84, had a long life, obviously a good hockey player, had some issues off the ice. And we kind of, we take all of that and we put that all in one big package right away. Like that's kind of part of where we see things just because in healthcare, you see that a lot, you know, you, you know, it's compartmentalized. It is. And it's not like, this is probably a bad thing to say, but like when you work in a hospital and you see death, you kind of become desensitized to it in some senses. Like there's some, some that are really difficult that you go through it. You know, think, think a young kid in a car accident, things like that. Um, but then there's other things where you kind of, you qualify it a little bit. And so like, that's where I'm kind of torn where I'm like, like you said, there's no real good time for this. I, it's almost, I feel like, you know, maybe you do just put all the information out there at once and then people can make their own decision as to how they want to go through that grieving process or go through it themselves. Because like I said, I'm going to process it differently than you and you're going to process it differently than somebody else. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't really know what the answer is. Um, No secret. He was a great hockey player, Um, but it kind of goes back to, you know, a couple years ago, for example, like the Slava Voinov incident, right? Great defenseman, international representation uh, for his country, Stanley Cup champion kind of threw it all away because of his actions. So again, I, I think it's up to the viewer um, to, you know, have discretion at that, but I don't really know what the answer is, but certainly good hockey player and a very controversial one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's my turn. I forgot. Um, how about we uh, <laughs> follow the trend of other things that are, uh, you know, not so great. Uh, New Jersey Devils associate coach, former Florida Panthers head coach, Andrew Brunette arrested early Wednesday morning in South Florida, driving home from a bar in his golf cart. So, he essentially had the golf cart parked um, at some sort of like bar, hotel, whatever it was. Uh, and him and his wife walked out and he was kind of stumbling around. And his wife said, you know, don't don't drive while the policeman is here, you know, watching and stuff. And he followed them down the road and then arrested them what a mile from his home. So, uh, uh, yeah, not the not the most lovely story, I guess, for Andrew Burnett. He's in his first season with the Devils. I, I know that you know him a little bit more from your time covering him. I Like, I don't I don't find it that shocking. Um, for him having a DUI, like it's not, I mean, he was at some sort of function over the all-star break and, you know, obviously having a few too many with friends and did something kind of dumb, but like, I don't know, you're also in the show, you know, it's a poor, it's a poor decision. Right. Um, yeah. And luckily that poor decision didn't, you know, cause injury to himself or others or something like that. Um, I know some people will say, well, he's on a golf cart. Well, you, you can still do a lot of damage in a golf cart, um, yeah. including to yourself. So, um, yeah, no, that it's, I don't know if disappointing is the right word, just because, um, like, it's, like I said, I've known him personally, I've interviewed him. He's, he's a wonderful dude. Um, and just, uh, unfortunately made a, a, an error and a lapse in judgment. Um, so hopefully he learns from it. Yeah. Um, again, he's never really had any other issues outside of that. So you hope it's a one-off, hope he learns from it and go from there. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, someone who's going to be doing a lot of thinking uh, is the Mann family, I guess. A Senators AHL coach Troy Mann gave an NHL team pre-scouting material before being fired in the middle of last week. He had been there since 2018. Um, ironically enough, Trent, his younger brother, has been in the Sens front office in the big club since 2011 and was promoted to AGM last summer. So, uh, yeah, kind of a bit of a an FU moment. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Apparently uh, trying to kind of stick it to his team. A um, couple of players coming out of there, most mo- notably probably Nick Paul uh, mm-hmm. coming out of that organization. So kind of a weird little story, but I thought it was interesting enough to mention uh, two more stories here. A uh, couple of signings here, both by the Capitals, uh, Sonny Milano, three-year extension at just under two mil annually has 22 points in 40 games this season. And Dylan Strome, five-year extension, finally gets his big deal, five years at five mil per season, 36 points in 40 games, probably a little bit overdue uh, maybe with the production that he's had. Um, um, I would like, say that it's taken him this long to find the right fit. Um, the skill's always been there. Um, again, I, I watched him in Erie. Again, he was on a line with Alex Debrinkett, Dylan Storm, and Connor McDavid. It was a nasty line. And so you could see the talent there, but... I never really fit in with Chicago. He's bounced around a little bit. Um, I think he's found a good home and a good system with Washington. And uh, they're giving him an extension. And you can almost argue the same with Sonny Milano, too, kind of in the same stretch, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think he, I think Milano has been inconsistent. I think maybe would be the best way to describe uh, maybe some of his production in this career. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, 22 points this season of finding a little bit more consistency. And uh, for Washington, that's going to, uh, shall we say needed some uh, shall we say some cap control coming up but these are good deals for the team as well so this is uh, good for players and the team so I like these two signings certainly would agree uh, injury wise here we've got four of them Golden Knights Captain Mark Stone again out indefinitely after undergoing back surgery cannot cannot Can't catch, catch a break, break man yeah uh, Columbus trade candidate Gustav Nyquist out for the season with a shoulder injury. He could return for the playoffs, though, so maybe a team wants to take a stab at putting him on IR and see if he can return in time for the postseason. Uh, Maple Leafs goaltender Matt Murray is out until a couple of days after the All-Star break due to an ankle injury. And Tage Thompson, who, of course, missed the All-Star game, out with an upper body injury and is still day-to-day. And welcome in to the main portion of the show, episode 148. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside by Nick Maxson here for another week in the den here, college hockey news. Everything uh, to discuss here, I think we're really going to kind of push hard because I know we want to talk quite a bit about the men's and women's teams, both very interesting weekends for them, albeit for different reasons here. Um, Yeah, and yeah, no kidding. Again, a reminder, in a couple of weeks, in two weeks, we will have a Tuesday show release. So just uh, not next week, but the week after will be the first one. We'll have two of those total, if not more, just because of scheduling. So just keep an eye on that one. We'll keep you posted. Should be a normal Sunday release next weekend, though. Uh, Big Ten-wise, though, let's start there. In the College Hockey Road, Penn State uh, split with Ohio State, 4-3 and 4-2 were the scores, respectively. Wisconsin at Michigan. Michigan, no surprise beating Wisconsin both nights right. and, then, and then Notre Dame, Michigan state, uh, Michigan state with the sweep three, nothing and three to two. I know people want to write this Spartans team off all of a sudden because of a poor showing in Minnesota, but I still think they're in the hunt um, a little bit. Granted, Notre Dame's not the most powerhouse team. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they got the job done. Uh, CCHA 2.0 Lake Superior state splitting with Northern Michigan four, two for Lake Superior and Northern Michigan winning three, one the second night, boy, that Wildcats team has just fallen off a cliff. Yeah. How about Lake Superior straight? I believe they have points in three straight weekends though. Am I, 
So they do. They've they've split the last three in a row, I believe. So they've, I mean, there's certainly, um, shall we say, too little, too late as far as pairwise is concerned. But you could get an out. You can get a bid by winning the CCHA if all of a sudden you catch, you know, fire at the right time. I I don't think that'll be the case with them. But yeah, never say never in college hockey. Yeah, man, Cato, Michigan, Tech, Bowling Green, probably the three teams that you're a little bit scared of. You could probably at least have a good crack at the rest of them, though, I would think so. I uh, Speaking of Mankato, uh, they split St. Thomas 3-2 victory in overtime for them in night number one. Big victory for that program. First five victory against Mankato, I believe. Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I f- Why do I have this feeling that St. Thomas beat them earlier in the year? I, uh, Mankato, I think they did. Mankato won the second night for sure, 5-2. to two. Um, I have this feeling I got a feeling, um, I don't, <laughs> let me see here if I can find the CCHA before I hurt people with my singing any more than we can I'll look at it. Cause I've got it right here in a, on a shortcut. Let's see. They've played, they almost beat them, I guess. Aha. Uh-huh. Almost only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and slow dancing, apparently. Um, with that being said, uh, so yeah, a split, a split for uh, St. Thomas there, not too bad for that program. Uh, also kind of climbing up towards the middle of the pack in that you know, group. There are only a couple points away there. Uh, Michigan Tech, Bemidji State, uh, Michigan Tech a sweep, 2-0, 3-2. And Ferris State, a split, uh, excuse me, a sweep of Bowling Green. Sorry, 2-1 and 5-4 in a shootout. Kind of a dagger for Bowling Green. Ferris State, Ferris State has kind of disrupted a little bit this year it feels it feels like um anything you wanted to add on the ccha not necessarily um besides bemidji state another team that's really yeah cooled off um especially towards the early part of the season they were great actually, for huskies fans right right um not great at all um just to you know ensue more panic and and you know um fire and brimstone to the whole fan base uh they were what top two for a while before the uh before essentially the holiday break. And ever since then, they just have not been able to really put together That's, a solid weekend. At some point, Northern Michigan was atop these standings in early December, I believe, too. Like, whoa. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> what a difference time makes, huh? Yeah, definitely. Well, Quinnipiac, who's still sitting number two in the pairwise, um, almost dropped a little bit to, uh, this weekend. Quinnipiac traveled to Harvard on Friday, 1-3-0. Uh, Saturday, um, they played Dartmouth and they were down two to one in this hockey game and scored three straight in the last four minutes uh, to win this hockey game four to two Dartmouth. Of course, the worst team in college hockey, we did the math. Uh, it would have moved Quinnipiac to three, if not four, and it would have moved Dartmouth from 61 up to 54. So uh, yeah, that could have been a big victory for Dartmouth. I don't even know what their mascot is, um, but no idea. Yeah. Uh, that could have been a big, victory for that program they've been close a couple of times disrupting some of these ecac teams haven't quite gotten there i think all of us of course were rooting for dartmouth in that one uh union losing to cornell 10-1 of course cornell is you know kind of buzzing a little bit as of late they also beat rpi 3-1 this weekend as well too but uh yeah this quinnipiac team uh i mean are they deserving of the number two spot in the country i don't really i mean teams keep moving around four and five spots every weekend Here's the thing, you know, when you get to this point of the season, no one, as you mentioned, if we did the, the pairwise sort of comparison, whether Dartmouth uh, would have actually beaten Quinnipiac. And because we're so late in the season, uh, this is where your record kind of, you know, puts a little bit of a box around you a little bit. Right. So yeah. if this is earlier in the season. That's probably a much bigger change for both squads. Uh, but now this is where teams are starting to kind of get locked in a little bit. Um, so 
And we'll talk about that part a little bit later when we deal with a certain St. Cloud State team um, and why people shouldn't throw the panic button. But at the same juncture, too, it also means that, you know, it's going to be now about not that you win or lose. You still want to win, but it's also like, how are you doing it? Right. Yeah. We're talking about, especially toward this time of the uh, time of the year. So it would have been a, if you were, if it would have been St. Cloud against Dartmouth, it would have been a much scarier proposition. I think if you're sitting in, mm-hmm. you know, six, seven, eight, nine, and you lose a game like that, then you start to see that big Correct. swing because you don't have enough of that record to really help you. So uh, with that being said, how about the teams right in the middle of that mess, by the way, BC Northeastern, Northeastern winning two to one uh, BC then played UMass on Friday, three to two UMass Lowell wins in a shootout. Um, BU on the other side traveled to Maine on Friday. They win five, three. UMass beat Providence 3-2 on Friday. And New Hampshire, what a weekend they had beating Merrimack 3-2 in overtime. And then they also beat UMass Lowell on Saturday 5-4. The other Friday matchup, UConn Northeastern. The Huskies, get it? Uh, UConn Uh. beating Northeastern (laughs) 4-3 in overtime. Um, I thought of that one on the fly. My brain may be turned off, but I had at least one here. So, um, of course, the Beanpot coming up on this upcoming Monday and the following Monday. So it's the next two Mondays that they'll be playing. Um, Atlantic hockey, sacred heart home and home against AIC. It was a split each way. Sacred heart four two, AIC four one and RIT beat Canisius in their only matchup. Independent wise here, Stonehill traveled to long Island and it wasn't even close. Long Island outscoring them 18 to four on the weekend and Alaska Fairbanks sweeping Arizona state two to one and five to two. This Fairbanks team is not a bad hockey team. I like no, but Arizona State is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, apparently so. We kind of didn't anticipate that coming out of the. No, they've break. also kind of had a second half fall off too. Um, and I would say that even before the no, I think when, once they hit December, they started to show signs of you know just having some difficulty uh, with coming out with you know at least consistent efforts. So it, it's disappointing a little bit because I thought Arizona State would actually be able to kind of hold on. Because uh, they've got some decent talent on that squad, but yeah. that's mostly just the again the depth this isn't there for them. I'm trying to figure out where they ended up here uh, in the pairwise. They've got to be in the high twenties, if not low thirties. That's what I thought too. For, for for whatever reason, I can't find them. Oh no, they are at forty one. Um, you heard me. They are at forty one. Arizona State. Arizona State is at forty one. They've really struggled as of recent. Whoa. Um. Meanwhile, though, Alaska Fairbanks is at 19, which the only thing that kills them is they don't have a conference tournament. So they would have to have a really good push uh, in the second half of the second half. They need to Um, get up to at least 13 to have a good chance. Yeah, certainly. Uh, What's on tap uh, conference-wise here? Big 10-wise, Penn State will be the team that's off. Michigan travels to Michigan State. Minnesota at Wisconsin. Ohio State traveling to Notre Dame. CCHA 2.0, Northern Michigan travels to Tommyland in St. Thomas. Uh, Bowling Green at Michigan Tech and Bemidji travels to Ferris. ECAC wise, Quinnipiac has Clarkson on Friday. Um, Harvard has Dartmouth on Friday. Keep an eye on that one. Uh, Colgate has Cornell for a weekend set. And then Quinnipiac also has St. Lawrence on Saturday. And you're probably wondering, well, why are you giving me these ECAC games against lower ranked opponents? Well, that's exactly why, because Quinnipiac's difficulty is staying pat making sure they don't drop games against Clarkson St. Lawrence mm-hmm. Harvard against Dartmouth you know you can't afford to drop some of these games so uh it's kind of essentially on watch for an implosion of sorts on one of these nights for sure uh hockey eastwise Merrimack travels to Maine this Sunday today uh as does Providence to Vermont 
Uh, then next, of course, we have the Bean Pot on the 6th and the 13th. BC plays Harvard. BU plays Northeastern. Then this upcoming weekend, Maine travels to BC on Friday. Northeastern travels to Providence. And then a weekend set, UConn-UNH, which I'm kind of curious to see how UNH responds. They've had a really good push in the second half. So um, Atlantic Hockey, Sacred Heart Air Force. And then independent-wise, Stonehill travels to Lindenwood. And Alaska travels to Long Island for some, some points that would be much needed. So um, is there anything you wanted to add on the schedule? Anything that you, you find intriguing? So the first of all, the obsession with Quinnipiac by Huskies fans is it's kind of sickening. Um, but you know, for those who still question whether Quinnipiac deserves to be number two because oh, the teams that they play are terrible. Here's the problem: they don't get to pick that. They just yeah. have to go out win their games, right? Now, does that mean that possibly when we get to the NCAA tournament, that maybe they're not as battle tested as other teams? Sure. But they have earned that two spot. They've taken care of their business like they should, right? Yep. So just think of it that way. Again, when you get into the dance, it's no different than the Stanley Cup Finals. We have this conversation every spring, it seems, Noah, that you know all you need is to punch your ticket, yep. right? Um, ask AIC. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, mean anything, seriously, anything like, can happen in the big anything dance. Anything can happen. Sure. So at the end of it, you could look at it as, well, maybe we have a, a chance against what could be a number one seed because – uh, they've had, shall we say, not the best of, you know, good, true test of their season, not taking anything away from Quinnipiac. I mean, they're obviously a good hockey team, but yeah. that's one way that maybe you can throw an upset. So we'll see. Yeah, certainly kind of maybe a one seed that maybe plays more like a two seed or a three seed potentially we'll have to see. But I still believe they're probably still a very good program. They always have been oh, yeah. when it comes to tournament time. Um, Huskies fans should know that very well. Um, yep. yeah, so, uh, it should be interesting. How about the NCHC though, obviously, and we'll talk a little bit about the pairwise as well. Uh, as we look here, the roundup, Western Michigan, uh, traveling to Duluth, Western Michigan, three, two in overtime, um, a victory for them. And then four to one the second night. So, uh, not too much help for the Huskies from Duluth. Um, I mean, they got the one little piece, the one point, I guess, which, has made all the difference in the standings as of right now, but still uh, no help from the Bulldogs. Uh, Denver at Colorado College on Saturday, only four to one was the final here. It was a much closer game than the score indicates. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I believe it was, I mean, it was three one for a while, but I mean, CC had a really good effort. I think they kind of had a couple of bad bounces early and they just couldn't get back in. Really that building though, at Ed Robeson has been packed. I mean, it's been mm -hmm. a long time since we've seen a CC Tigers you know, student section, anything like that uh, with anything like that going on. So it's been really interesting. Omaha, North Dakota, of course, were off. Miami traveling to St. Cloud State. It was a pair of shootout victories for the St. Cloud State Huskies, four to three and two to one. First night attendance was 36-85. Huskies out shooting Miami 33-30. I actually thought the Red Hawks looked really good, actually, in the first night on Friday, especially. Um, Huskies went 38 for 69 in the faceoff dot, 55%. Uh, Dominic Bassey stopped 27 of 30 for a 900 on the nose and a 909 for Ludwig Pearson, 30 out of 33 uh, in that first box score. Um, it was Miami who got on the board first, kind of a weird little like chaos type goal there. Second, third chance opportunities. Defenseman didn't really pick up guys in the weak side, but just a weird little bounce that unfortunately Bassey couldn't handle. Aiden Spellacy responded with a really nice redirect slap shot, backhand, one-timer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, to tie that game up at one uh, after the first period. And then a pair of goals in the second, Vieti Mietnin and then Axel Kumlin 
And then Miami, of course, held a lead for a little bit uh, in this one before St. Cloud, the shorthanded goal for Mason Solquist to get us to the shootout, the longest in NCHC history, 10 rounds, only one goal score. Micah Miller, of course, the 10th goal, the 10th shot, first goal, I should say. So nice um, move too. Yeah, it was really nice. Saturday, two to one shootout victory. Oh, by the way, I guess we should go through special teams here. Miami was one for five on the power play and they scored their power play goal with about three seconds left on the man advantage. So I thought the kill was much improved for the Huskies, although St. Cloud over eight on the man advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Huskies did get a shorty though in this hockey game. So really they did stand pat Um, four on four though. Miami, a couple of tallies for them uh, at four on four, which is a nice little impressive look for them. Uh, Saturday Huskies going one for five on the power play Miami over four on their opportunities. St. Cloud out shooting 31, 29, uh, and a very good night in the faceoff dot 33 for 58 at just under 57%. Dominic Bassey had a 966 on 29 shots and Ludwig Pearson a 967 on 31 shots. So a real goaltender's duel for sure. Yami Cranola, sure. Yami Cranola, his hundredth point as a Husky on the power play, his 16th goal of the season from Spencer Meyer, Mason Salquist in the first period, a nice little wrist shot up over the glove. And then the extra attacker goal, goal John Waldron, Finding that quiet area with 30 seconds left in that hockey game on the weak side. We went to a shootout. Both shooters, Micah Miller gets the, <laughs> the first shot this time. Uh, might as well, right? And Yami Cranel, yeah. of course, uh, burying the second one. So, yeah, Nick. Well, before yeah. we take a look at the standings here, four of six points for the Huskies. Um, better than three, better than two, better than none. Uh, I don't know that they were particularly great. I thought they were better on Saturday than they were on Friday. Uh, attendance on Saturday was 4189, by the way. But yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for this Huskies team. It we, has talk, been. we talked about the panic button for this group. I, I, I don't. I feel like we're at that point where, you know how we see in the movie tropes where you've inserted the key and you turn it and the little like plastic cover thing comes off the little button. I feel like that's where we're at. We've like, we're just turning the key and maybe the doors open or maybe you just close it again, but you still have the key in the thing, you know, like we're kind of at that spot. Um, how did you see this weekend? You know, it's interesting right now because like you said, you get four or six points. Yeah. Unfortunately, you dropped two points against a really bad Miami squad who has effectively won the pairwise battle with you to a, a certain extent. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think the biggest takeaway here is, and we talked about it last week, is that weekend against Duluth was really bad. Yeah. That, that was bad. And the question we all had was, how do they respond, right? They responded okay, but I still think there's still some to be desired, right? No, I think that's kind of yeah. where at. Now, I'm not quite ready to put the key in into the proverbial, you know, nuclear code button just yet. Yeah. Um. Now, for Huskies fans, and and I think they need more of a week off than I think the team does. Um, <laughs> but uh, the team couldn't have come. Essentially, in their schedule, they, they couldn't have had their bye week come at a better time, I think. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about this before, how their schedule was lined up to be sort of, shall we say, suspect. And it's funny, we, we shouldn't even be talking about that because if you're a good team, you take care of business, right? Now, here's the good news. 
North Dakota has been sort of on the rise. You have to go into Ralph Engelstead Arena. I To me, in two weeks, that's going to be my litmus test for where this team is at right now. Because you, it's. I think the biggest thing for Huskies fans is, if you take away the opponent, it's we're in February, right? Yeah. It's, it's the kind of efforts you don't want to have at this point in the season. I think that's sort of where my bigger concern is. It's not necessarily opponent, although there's some part of that to where my where my stance is. But I think it's more of you're trying to get better every week and and peak at the right time, right? And we've always had conversations, whether it's the NHL, whatever, right? Where does a team peak too early? Do they not, you know, are they are, are they not playing at the right time with the right um, congruency, right? I'm not sure if that's where St. Cloud is, is at, but I do think that playing against North Dakota at the Ralph, if you can't wake up for that matchup, then we can hit the panic button, right? Because um, again, now seventh in the pairwise, you're starting to lose a little bit of that cushion that you enjoyed, yeah. right? And you certainly don't want to put yourself in a position like you did last year, which is you're going, you know, over to Allentown, Pennsylvania, having to play a good Quinnipiac squad. And, you know, granted injuries aside, uh, don't want to put yourself in that kind of position. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. No, I'm curious as to where you're at. Now, granted, I think we both can agree we're disappointed to a degree. Um, it wasn't, you know, Death Con Delta as of yet. Oh, the yeah. Huskies Twitter would say that. I don't know what's what. Where do you, where do you sitting right now? Can I throw something weird out there that might surprise Huskies fans? Miami, that. Miami is allowed to have a good weekend. Like oh. Miami, like Miami is allowed really? to play well. You know what I mean? Like you look at some of their losses. Okay, like October four nothing and four two to Denver. Close hockey game, right? 5-2 to Western Michigan with an empty netter. They lose 2-1 to CC after tying them with a shootout loss in overtime. Uh, they lost by two goals to Michigan State at one point, of course, beating North Dakota in that 4-3 game. Um, they beat the Huskies 5-0. Then you come back, they had a tough little start, but then Omaha, they lose 4-1 and 2-0. Not exactly crazy ones. The Friday night game against North Dakota, they only lose by three, and then that was last weekend, and now, of course, they played the Huskies here. Is Miami a good team? No, but they are in one of the best conferences in college hockey. And not the best. <laughs> yeah. And if you throw them in the ECAC, um, maybe not so much hockey East, but for sure Atlantic hockey, you know, they're, they're a top three team, you know, in, in probably a lot of those conferences. And this is where I think that, you know, we talked a little bit about Chris Bergeron and potentially, you know, he's in the fourth year of his seventh year of his deal. And it sounds like he's like maybe on the way out, you know, just by the way that this Red Hawks team has been playing. Um, so I don't know where he's at, but I, this Miami team kind of struck me as a team that maybe is playing with a little bit of desperation, not only because of their season, but maybe because their head coach recognizes that they need to be a little bit more aggressive in the way they approach their game plan too, maybe for his own sake. Um, I thought Miami, first of all, in the first night, did a really good job of stretching out the, the ice. They utilized that. Olympic sheet a lot better than one I've seen Miami teams in the past. And number two, seen a team against St. Cloud in their own building do. It's not often where St. Cloud looks a little bit overmatched at times mm -hmm. uh, on their own ice sheet. The second piece of this too, 
I mean, this was a goaltender's duel through and through. There were so many breakaways, odd man opportunities, one-time opportunities. Both goaltenders were exceptional. Dominic Bassey and Ludwig Pearson, this was a goaltender's duel all the way through the weekend. You know, don't be fooled by, you know, the 4-3 to finish on the first night. You know, this was a goaltender's duel, and they made some really nice saves. Uh, Both of those guys did, especially Bassey on Friday night, keeping the Huskies in it. I thought St. Cloud played much better on Saturday. I thought they were more controlled. I thought they had a much, much more composed effort. I think they just really didn't get rewarded with a couple of opportunities. And I think it's interesting. Maybe this is as good a time as any here. We talk about Huskies Twitter a lot. Um, And I know we kind of rag on, you know, the Huskies faithful and some of the things. And we're going to, we're going to get into that, but the standard and the expectation that St. Cloud fans have sometimes is so overblown. Like it's this idea that, Oh, St. Cloud had four two on ones and two breakaways and they couldn't capitalize on any of them on Saturday. And they're like, Oh, they're looking just like the wild. They can't get anything done. Oh, they're, there, here we go again. We can't, we can't generate anything. We can't, whatever. Yes. We talk about, you've got to execute at some point. You've got to make sure you're putting the puck in the net. Goaltenders are allowed to play well. Teams are allowed to play well against St. Cloud state. You mentioned in the early part of the show, it's all about the way that you're playing when you come tournament time. I get nervous, not when you're missing on five, two on ones, but when you don't have any two on ones at all. That's when I start to get really concerned. St. Cloud still had a bevy of opportunities, especially on Saturday, to win that hockey game and break it wide open. They ran into a good goaltender, and they ran into a Red Hawks team that I think was a little bit more prepared maybe this weekend than they anticipated coming off their weekend against North Dakota. It wasn't a great weekend. But I also think that we're allowed to give Miami some credit for hanging in there and playing a good weekend of hockey against a top 10 team in the country. Like they're allowed to do that. That's not out of the realm of possibility for this Red Hawks program, you know? And I think that we've been so enamored with this idea. We picked St. Cloud state to finish fourth in the NCHC, right? Entering the season. Then you push them up. They're a top 10 team in the country. Now they're a top five team in the country. They were at number two at one point in the pairwise. You know, they were atop the NCHC at one point. I think you start to get jaded with this idea that I believe the Huskies are still that good, but you get jaded with this idea that your expectation bar slowly keeps rising. And then anything that happens to the contrary, oh, good teams don't do that. Playoff bound teams don't do that. National champion teams don't do that. Yes, they do. Look at any national champion run in history. You're telling me they didn't have lapses in certain games, or they didn't struggle in certain games that they probably should have won handily. Every team has their opponent or two during the season that they struggle with. For whatever reason, St. Clouds has been Miami this year, which is unfortunate for them, but credit the Red Hawks. I don't know, Nick, what, like what expectation should we have of this St. Cloud team? Like, are we expecting too much of them? Are we expecting too little of them? Like where should we be at in the expectation meter here? You know, I think the expectation really is what's well, let's put it this way. I've done some some looking here. So during their national championship run, right? Um, talk about blemishes. Um, they got blown out in Duluth last week in the series of uh, the season five one on that, and then had to come back in overtime to win it uh, yeah. in Duluth. They also lost to Miami at Miami two to three. Second yeah. last. Uh, third to last weekend of the season. That was the year that we were in the pod that they almost had that clunker against the Tigers early on too, that they had to come back from as well. 
Correct. Um, also split uh, with Western Michigan. Um, lost, actually got swept horribly um, at Western Michigan. That so, yeah. It's it's one of those where they're gonna be okay. You know. So and it's like like you said the the context is here. The context I think is important, right? Because you're you're absolutely right. In Miami, and we talked about this before the show. They before the season. Let's even start there. Well, we talked on this show how uh, their their captain was like, "Hey, you know, we did we had some personnel movements that we think were kind of holding us down, and we kind of feel like we can make strides this year." Now, I don't know if the win loss record shows that, but if anything, their play this weekend does, right? Yeah. Um, one thing about Miami in years past has been not that they didn't play well. But sometimes they would maybe have a bad start and they just kind of packed it in, right? This team isn't going away. And you have to kind of start there, right? You have to be ready to say, I'm not going to let this one uh, piece of adversity during the game, you know, you know, disrupt what we're trying to do or accomplish or our game plan, right? So um, I think that's a tribute to their team trying to make changes. And as you mentioned, this is the NCHC, right? There's good teams up and down. Now, again... Mm-hmm. You talk about good teams, by the way, Nick. Sorry to interject. There are only two. I repeat, two teams in the NCHC that their overall winning percentage is below 500. CC has a 404 and Miami has a 321. They're 7, 17, and 4 in the season. Yeah. So to finish the point, uh, you know, when we look at teams like Miami, to the contrary of St. Cloud, it's all good teams don't do that. In the contrary, Miami is not far removed from being a really good squad. They've yep. had history, right? And just because they're, or shall we say, have had a you know a recent string of shall we say bad. Look at Colorado College again. Their record is shall we say not where I think we predicted, but they're playing a much better brand of hockey, right? Yeah. Um, Miami is playing a much better brand of hockey. Like you said, they can play good. It's just that in years past, it just has been more consistently not great. And I think part of it is other teams blow out these teams. I remember in the pod where St. Cloud was being beat by Colorado College 3-0. And then uh, during an intermission series, I had uh, folks that, uh, shall we say, a certain radio station blast St. Cloud for that. And I, I literally kind of had to push back on the broadcast because yeah, it, was, I was, it was the second game of the year. Second game of the year, number one. And number two, you know, they essentially framed as Colorado College does not deserve uh, to have a three nothing lead. And therefore, like, what in the heck are the Huskies doing? They suck. And it's like, it's one bad period. It's yeah. 20 minutes. And relax, there's 40 minutes of play left. You right? know, it's interesting. You look at some of the major sports, and they've done studies on this. Hockey, out of all the four major sports, is the game most predicated on luck. It's the most, mm-hmm. it's the game most predicated on bounces, chances, things going your way. I think it's, I'm trying to remember, it's like the lowest is basketball, where like the best players have the most control over the outcome of the game, right? It's yeah. like only like 12% of the game. Yeah, it's like only 12% of the games have like some random factor of luck that really influences the outcome. Hockey was somewhere was like 41%, almost half of the hockey games. You know, you create your own luck, but you also have to get some bounces here. I think it's safe to say. You look at the NCHC right now. When is the last? I don't even think we've said this in their history, maybe in year one or year two. There are at least seven teams out of the eight in this conference that are formidable threats every time you are on the ice with them. And this Miami team has caused some fits with the way they play that if you let them hang around, they find ways to score 
in weird situations, you put them at four and four. For some reason, they're really successful. They like to score in bunches. You give them a power play, they might pop two or three on the man advantage for whatever reason. So, you know, and if your worst team is Miami, who is giving teams fits left and right and kind of making things interesting, like look at this conference here and you look at Denver at 35, which is probably going to run away with the NCHC. They've got two games in hand right now. Mm-hmm. Western Michigan with their weekend are now tied with St. Cloud at 33. Both teams tied for second. Western has the tiebreaker. Omaha right behind St. Cloud at 30. The Huskies will have them two times. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Duluth at 23. North Dakota at 21. Colorado College at 20. And Miami with their two points now at nine. Like this is a hotly contested conference where everything is still to play for. I agree with everybody out there who is like probably screaming at their headphones or their car or wherever you listen to us and you say, but they didn't play well the past two weekends. Wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. The Duluth series was a train wreck. Duluth was a train wreck. I'm not sure if I would say they didn't play great this weekend, but they certainly didn't play up to their potential. You know, you talked about the mentality piece and maybe you mentioned this break. Maybe it's not even a physical thing. Maybe it's a mental reset. Maybe they're a little bit burned out mentally. Um, of course, don't forget that weekend series when they came back against Minnesota was a tough matchup to come out of the holiday break. Yes, they had the exhibition game, but let's be realistic here. Right. Um, you know, but you look at this, one of the things that St. Cloud has struggled with as of recent, I think, was their zone exits and defensively their structure. They're struggling to get pucks out of the zone, things that transitionally they were doing really well in the early Dylan half of the Anhorn. season. Yeah, Dylan Anhorn, obviously, with with a good you know, first pass zone exit certainly solidifies that, but also the forwards kind of running around a little bit, getting kind of pulled out of position here. They're definitely going to have to look at that. And that obviously alludes to a poor penalty kill. Not so much this weekend. They were fine this weekend, but I mean, I think that's where the struggles were is that St. Cloud is kind of, they're putting themselves into bad positions defensively, something that we haven't seen this team really do. There's certainly areas for improvement. Would you rather have it happen on February 3rd and 4th? Or do you want to have it happen on March 3rd and 4th? Just ask yourself that question because St. Cloud here is still in a prime position to at least be second in the NCHC and be a number two seed, maybe at worst in, you know, the tournament. What a great opportunity. And I think that brings us to our next point here, Nick. I didn't even mean to do this, but I guess I started a whole Twitter thing. Yeah, you you know, and, and I generally, honestly, for those who follow this show and sorry, I'm rambling here, but, um, Generally, in the early days of our show, I used to kind of be a little bit more aggressive on the responses on Twitter, and I've really pulled back, and I generally don't say much, if anything, especially related coming from our show personally. But I, I, simple question here. I guess let's start with this. Nick, is Brett Larson a bad coach, and should the Huskies be looking for a new bench boss? Wait, wait, wait. What's the question? Is Brett Larson a bad coach? No, 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 sh- no. The other question. And should we be looking for a new bench boss? No, the other question. What I'm trying to say here is that's not even a question. Yeah. And Agreed. for those who are questioning that, go back under a rock. You know, um, honestly, like it's one of those, like, but, and I know, I know we use the player thing maybe a little bit and we're not, you know, experts by any means. We're not elite hockey minds, but you and I have both been in a hockey locker room. There's. Yeah. There's some people that the the things you say on social media, not to say you can't be a Huskies fan, not to say you can't support, not to say you can't be critical of them like any sports team. We're critical of the Vikings, but I never played football in the NFL or at a high level, right? And that's what I'm trying to say. There's some people that you can tell have never put on a pair of skates or have never been in a hockey locker room and understand the temperature of. Let's take it one step further. 
personal relationships with this head head coach with yeah. Brent Larson. So now let's unpack this a little bit because I, I think there are some points that Huskies fans are trying to make, albeit bad ones. So basically they're blaming the coach and the coaches only for the team's performance. Last time I checked, the coach isn't out there skating. Uh, two, with my sit-downs with Brett, Dave, RJ, uh, going over the course of many years, the detail-oriented nature of that coaching staff yeah. is part of the reason why that they got to a national championship, where they've been consistently atop the NCHC conference for the last few years, right? Now, here's the second part of the game. This is the what I call the Mike Yo effect, right? And I think this is where the fans are really trying. I think this is what they truly are intending to mean, and that is, well, you this team is flat. Well, why, why can't this team get jumpstarted? Isn't it the coach to kind of get them on? So just as much as reading the temperature in the room, like you said, right, it's the coach's job to read that temperature, right? And for for lack of a better example, right, there are times where, say, a player makes an obvious mistake, right, in the moment. And you have to know the player personally, too, right? You know, some players yeah. react differently to than others. Perfect example is... You know, I was kind of the guy that responded by, uh, shall we say, getting, you know, my ear talked off. You know, I was just kind of that guy, right? Whereas some other players, it was just like, he knows what he did. Leave him be. He's going to go out next shift and he's going to he's going to make men's for it. Right. So uh, it's a difficult position to be in. Right. Because you have the individual as part as the conglomerate as the team. And, you know, you have to push the right buttons at the right time. And shall we say that this Husky squad, let's, let's go back a little bit. The roster hasn't been very consistent as of late as far as who's been on the ice. Now, minus the Dylan Anhorn thing, if you look at the forward lineups, uh, Rosborough was out, uh, I think, one game last week. Uh, Ethan O'Coin's been back in um, to the lineup. Jack Rogers, Joel Molinar has been in and out. So it's like, as a player, and especially in hockey right now, it goes understated how much line chemistry on the forward side is so important. Yeah. How much consistency with the people you're playing with um, translates to results on the ice. Now, granted, this not just results in putting points on the board, but also especially in a bottom six role, how well you're playing defensively, right? There's so much that goes into coaching in terms of trying to put the best team on the ice, trying to put together players that play a similar style or execute your game plan it's not as easy as you think, right? And just based on the lineup changes we've seen night in and night out, it looks like Brett Larson is still trying to find that right mix. And where are the line changes happening? They're not happening on the top line. They're not happening on the second unit. They're happening on the bottom six. six. And where did that national championship run all start, all integrate? Fourth line, Will Hammer. You know, I mean, you look at guys... Jerry Cockrell and... uh... Wasn't it Molinar? Yeah, Molinar was there at the end. I feel like yep. it was somebody else. Or was it Koopa that was in that spot? It was like Koopa. Zach Okabe was there a little bit too, um, you know, at least for a while. But nonetheless, boy, that feels like eons ago. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing too is, you know, you talk about that personal relationship. Coaching is extremely difficult. I think people that people have this idea that Brett Larson says something or makes a tweak to the game plan and suddenly the Huskies will suddenly just flourish. Right. Coaching is difficult because of the fact that you can do all the coaching, all the X's and O's that you want. But like you talked about, the it's up to the players to get themselves ready for a game 
and to be accountable and to play the right way. Coaches, they a lot of them say the worst part of their week is the actual games because mm-hmm. they do all this prep work and then they have no control over what happens on the ice because they're not the ones playing. They can coach, they can they can try to make adjustments, they can try to see what they see and relay that to the players, but at some point it's on the players to to make a play. Not to say he can't have a screaming match in the locker room or throw a trash can. There's definitely coaches that utilize that to their advantage, and sometimes it is effective. Or throw a bench if you're Mike Keenan. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But, like, you know, you talk about, you know, a a coach that maybe uses that to their effect when they don't do it regularly, and then you see that emotion, you go, okay, we're really struggling. We've got to be accountable here. Right. I remember a conversation. This is a private conversation, not, not a big one. But we were down the year that we were there. I was down at the Herbert National Hockey Center. I was actually waiting to talk to, I believe, Janelle Sergey. I think, we were, the women's program for something. And it ended up being where it was Brett Larson's office. And then it was Nick Oliver. His office was right there. And um, I think Mike Gibbons was in Nick Oliver's office. And this was, of course, don't forget, just coming off that horrible loss to AIC the year before. Probably one of the best, if not the best team in St. Cloud history. Yep. And they were about six or seven games into the season, and they were having a really tough time getting this team engaged, just getting them kind of in that mental space, right? And I remember kind of sitting here, and of course I was eavesdropping, because why not? Um, and I and I remember them saying, we've never seen this before from this group, that they're mentally not you know, checked in right now, that we're really having a difficult time trying to get them into that spot here. Each group has a different dynamic. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, well, this team went to a national championship game and the next year they bring back the same core and they couldn't get it done. Every team is different, regardless Mm -hmm. of if you bring back the same mix. Guys have different roles the next year. Guys see their ice time a little bit differently. You have a couple of new freshmen that come in that do make a a, a different impact. Vieti Mietnin had a sophomore slump, for example, that we could not pull him out of that year. Mm Mm-hmm. Players play differently just because you have the same team. Hockey is such a game that is so dynamic on momentum, locker room chemistry, team chemistry, mentality, so much more so than I think a lot of other sports that people don't realize that it kind of, it kind of takes a perfect mix sometimes to, to generate the right tournament run. You look at great teams, number one seed in the USCHO polls and the pairwise it's a death sentence. We've talked about this in the past decade and a half. It's a death sentence. Why is that? Because you've got a target on your back every night and you've got to bring your best every night. And when you come to a one game showdown in a national tournament, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So really St. Cloud in some senses, because of the fact that they're still in an okay spot in the NCHC and they're still in an okay spot in the pairwise, maybe need some of these mental resets here to really prime them for what's going to be a very intense month and a half to push them through to tournament time. Mm-hmm. But people don't see that. They see, oh, this team maybe doesn't have jump. Oh, they had a second period. We're back to it again. We're back to it. Do you realize out of the 62 teams, unless you're talking about the pairwise, then 61 because Stonehill got screwed last week, apparently. Um, apparently. Out of the 61 teams, only one wins a national championship. It does not matter in some senses how good you are. You have to have the right combination of things go right for you. You've got to have the right bounces, and you can be an exceptional hockey team and not get the job done. That doesn't mean that you're a flawed group. That doesn't mean that you didn't have it or you were flat or you can't get up for hockey games. 
Sometimes you win hockey games, sometimes you lose hockey games, and there are so, so, so many different factors that come into that. Coaching, players, a team like Miami suddenly getting up for a weekend series in St. Cloud. So many things that come together that make this happen. uh, The referee crew. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Duluth, who we thought was absolutely dead, resurrected themselves last weekend. Anything can happen in the NCHC, and it did. Does St. Cloud need to be better than they have been the past two weeks? Yes. Absolutely. But to think that one guy has control over an entire program for an entire season and he's the difference maker, I'm not saying he's not an integral cog. He'd be damn well better be. But there is so much that goes into that beyond that, that to think that he is a guy that a two-time national champion, first coach in 92 years of program history to bring this team to a national championship game, top 10 team in four of the five seasons he's been here. Come on. Yeah. It's now granted, you know, is it on the coaches to try to solve? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But let's, let's not forget. Yeah. You got swept by Duluth. That was bad. You have essentially two ties against Miami. Okay, sure. Are we having a different conversation? You know, if they're swept by a Miami? Yes. Yes, oh, we yeah, are. absolutely. Yes, we are. So, and, and we're like, talking swept, not losing in the shootout. We're talking right. legitimately, swept. like, yeah, you know, oh, out of six points. Yeah. So, and like I said, I, I truly think that this team, I mean, the players that put on the skates, put on the helmet, are out there battling and trying to put the puck in the net. I think they need this mental reset. I think it's a more of a mental reset than anything. Yeah, right? I agree. And it's coming at the right time because, well, you get North Dakota. And then it's Omaha, and then it's Minnesota Ooh. Duluth, and that's it. And when you're coming out of a break, right, and you realize you get six games left to make your push, to I think there is an inherent natural sort of mental reset there, at least you hope, right? So, but let's not forget again the national championship run. They split, got embarrassed even towards the last weekends of the season, right? So mm-hmm. you just hope that. All they need is just a little bit of time away mentally. Yeah. Again, knowing Brett Larson, they'll be practicing all week. He does not like to take this time off. But maybe instead of the games this Friday, Saturday, maybe, you know, maybe takes the team off for dinner. Like, it's it's weird how something like that can, you know, make a big yeah. change, right? But get away from the game for a weekend, practice hard, you know, work on some of those small things and come back and have a good showing against North Dakota in their own building and, you know, started having a little bit more confidence back down the stretch, an important stretch here for not only their NCHC aspirations, yeah. but also for um, the national tournament and how they will seed there. Yeah, and, and no surprise in February and March that some teams that struggled early in the season have started to figure it out. Your North Dakotas, your Miamis, and give you a much better game plan. It's funny that you mentioned, by the way, teams that need different things. I, of course, not that it makes any difference, but we won two national championships when I was a player in college. The first year... We got we lost like eleven nothing or something like a week and a half before we were supposed to go to the tournament, and we got bag skated after a hockey game in our own building for forty five minutes. That was the jump that we needed. Second yep. time around, when we won it the second time, what we needed was actually a weekend off. We took four days off to kind of rest and regroup before the tournament. Each team each year needs something different, and right now the Huskies right. obviously need a lot of things, including some really great fan support here. Continue to go to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Only one more weekend series, actually, that weekend against Duluth. So um, important for Huskies fans and faithful to be there and supporting this team. Be along for the ride. Have fun. It's college hockey. 
Only one team wins it at the end of the year. Just enjoy the ride, and hopefully the Huskies can go far. Yeah. On the women, on the women's side of thing here. Oh, did we want to look at the pairwise? Is there anything you wanted? The Huskies are seven, by the way, which is a not that's a bad a, spot to be. That's that's all we need to know. And at the end of the day, um, I don't think Huskies fans are too concerned about their pairwise right now. <laughs> I don't think you've met relatively Huskies speaking. Fans. <laughs> relatively speaking. Oh yeah, it's we're only at uh, only at DefCon three instead of DefCon one. Um, yep. Well, another team that has moved on the other end of the DEFCON spectrum, WCHA, Women's Hockey, St. Cloud. Um, last time I checked uh, was, I believe, number 11 or 12 in the country in rankings right. yeah. last time I saw. I don't know the last time this women's team ha- has been ranked. Their best season, of course, in 2007-08. St. Cloud is two wins away from tying that record, pushing Towards the end of the season, what a great year this women's team has had. What a great rebound in the past couple of weeks. Before we get to them, St. Thomas splitting with Bemidji State. If you're a Huskies fan, you love that result. That <laughs> definitely help, helps your position. Uh, 3-0 for the Tommies, 4-1 for Bemidji. Duluth and Mankato, bit of a, some controversy in that uh, last game against Mankato. Goaltender interference and mm-hmm. goal that was waved off there. I'm not really sure. I kind of watched it back. I, I mean, I guess I can see where they got the call. It was pretty light, but... You know, you still got to score goals to win a hockey game. Nonetheless, Duluth 4-3 in regulation, one nothing in a shootout in the second night to beat Mankato, which if you're a Huskies fan, uh, eh, I guess, like, yeah. I, I, I guess that's okay. Duluth is obviously pushed too far ahead to be caught, I think. Yeah. So, um, but at the same time, again, do you want Duluth or do you want Wisconsin? I don't even really know at this point. Mankato might be in a better spot. Uh, Ohio State traveling to Minnesota. It was a split. Gophers in night number one. Ohio State 5-1 in night number two. And then St. Cloud State 1-0 victory on Friday night, losing 3-2 on Saturday in a pair of tightly contested contests. Attendance on Friday night, of course, this one at the Kohl Center, 14,430. Got to watch the St. Cloud State Huskies Shut out the Wisconsin Badgers in their own building and then some. How awesome is that? Game winner, of course, Yanina Newland at four on four, her 13th of the season from Dale Ross and Tatum Geyer uh, in period number one. And that was all she wrote. Shots 39-15 in favor of the Badgers. No surprise there. 47% in the draw were the Huskies, 23 for 49. Uh, Jojo Choback, perfect. 39 for 39. Uh Cami Cronish, 14 of 15 for a 933. Of course, both teams failing to score. Wisconsin, five power play opportunities. St. Cloud, 0 for 1 on their lone opportunity. Wow, what what a victory. I mean, it is yeah. it has been. We've talked about this. I feel like every year, the Gophers maybe a little bit too. Not so much Ohio State, but the Gophers a little bit, but for sure Wisconsin. Every year that you and I have covered this team since we've been there, they've had at least one or two games against this Badgers team where they've had a serious crack at beating them or hanging on to a lead or winning in overtime. And they just haven't quite gotten it to win in front of over 14,000 fans on the road, a one, nothing showing against one of the best teams in the country. Phenomenal. And again, you know, Minnesota, right. You get a win against Minnesota earlier this year. Um, Could have had a couple against Ohio state. Uh, So for Huskies fans on the women's side, who are like, is this team good? Think of it this way. The Huskies overall, yeah. 16 wins in the season. They're only five back overall the entire year of Wisconsin. They got 21. Yeah. So I'm not sure what more we need to say about it. I mean, honestly, this team is good. This yeah. team is good. Now, 
I want to quote Brian Idolsky. Um, had a really good chat with him and Jim Scanlon before the Hockey Day Minnesota thing. And one of the things that he's been preaching to this squad um, is the work ethic. When he came on board, and you know, there's I haven't met some guy that is as probably more of a straight shooter than anything, but does it. And I should say not does it, but communicates it in the right way. When he came on board, he said he asked the team two questions. First question he asked is, who are we going to out-talent? Seriously, look around. Yeah. Gophers, Ohio State, Wisconsin, they've all got some talent that we probably can't out-talent. But then he goes, well, let's, let's try this. How about outwork? Yep. Oh, we can control that. So I, his- I, I believe a certain coach to which the St. Cloud hockey building is named after had a similar philosophy in a yep. certain Olympic tournament back in 1980. Just the So Idelsky's mantra since day one has been, we're not going to kid ourselves who we are, but we also are going to make sure that we people know who we are. And that is, we're going to be a team that's going to be tough to play against. And more so, this is what I expect every shift. I need your commitment both on and off the ice. And this is the way we're going to play. And if you don't, Give it your all of your shift. Bench is over there, and you can you can warm it up for me if you want. Yeah. And let's just say that it's done wonders. It's yeah. done wonders, and let's just say that St. Cloud's got a couple of pretty good recruits coming back this year. So momentum's there. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Like no, I'm a loss for words. Like it's it's strange what. And you talk about coaching changes, right? We talked about yeah. this on the men's side. How about a different just philosophy? With Adelski, it's not even just philosophy, right? It's not like this team magically is different by a long stretch I, of the roster, right? I think the word is cohesion. Um, and yeah. this is maybe and accountability. Yeah, this is maybe pushing a little bit into things that we know a little bit privately, but I, I think at this point we're past that. It's no secret that the hockey ideology um, of Steve McDonald versus Janelle Sergey. Um, they kind of clashed a little bit, I think, in the way that they are both approached the game. And I think now with Brian Idolsky, I think he fits that mold of what Janelle is looking for a little bit more. And of course, Janelle really is kind of the mainstay, you know, the the, the the glue piece essentially because of how long she's been there and she knows, you know, the program history and where they've come and where what the ultimate goal is. And I think that when you look at that and you look at Brian Adolski and what he brought to the table, I think it was just kind of a perfect fit a little bit in terms of that. And like you talked about, you know, kind of pushing this team to the next level and you know, someone like Janelle and of course, Molly, you know, who was with her too, they know what it takes at that next level. And then Brian Adolski who coached on the Olympic stage knows what it takes at that next level. Those teams that they do just enough to get by versus those teams that do the extra to be that much better. And I think that's where you're finally starting to see that mental change here. And you can see the product on the ice. They lose three to two on Saturday night and they easily could have won that hockey game. Yeah. You know, Taylor Lynn yes. makes it one goal hockey game with five minutes left to play and all bets were off. I'm sure Wisconsin was shaking in their boots. This Badgers team has really struggled in the second half of the season. St. Cloud could have easily swept this group. It's very interesting. You look at the teams that St. Cloud has not beat this season, Ohio state, of course, who's probably a top two or three team in the country. They're infinitely good. And then Duluth and Mankato are the only other teams that they haven't beat. So they have a chance to you know, rectify that as they come into the next couple of weekends. Only two more weekends left. They have Duluth 
in Duluth and then finish at home February 17th and 18th, St. Cloud, Minnesota, Herbrooks National Hockey Center against Minnesota State. So the men will be on the road that weekend. Women's team will be at home for their last home series. Um, and I say last home series because they're they're not getting home ice. No. You know, so if you want to support this team and watch them in what could be a very pivotal series for seeding, uh, when it comes down to the wire here, you've got to be at that building. But Saturday night, by the way, Courtney Hall got a started from Clara Himmlerova, like I mentioned, was the other tally there. Taylor Lynn's goal was shorthanded, by the way, too. Uh, 39-11 were the shots for Wisconsin. Both teams not able to score on the man advantage. Uh, 56.1% in the faceoff circle, 32 for 57. Uh, actually pretty dominant all weekend were the Huskies in the faceoff dot. A 9.23 uh, in the save department, 36 of 39. And then Jane Gervais had 9 of 11 for an 8.18. But... Uh, it's interesting, like you talked about, and I, and I want to make sure that I have this right. Yeah, Sonia Hola was a net for that second night. So, um, I mean, like you, like we talked about, you've got two weekends, and then the weekend of February 24th to 26th, you start your WCHA quarterfinals where you're going to be a best-of-three series uh, at wherever the higher seed is, whether it's going to be Wisconsin or Duluth. That's who you're going to get. I mean, let's, you know, let's be real, uh, unless something crazy happens. So this Huskies team is approaching the same mentality that we talked about is that you have to be playing your best hockey at the right time. I think they struggled a little bit in the month of January, but they have a great chance playing teams of like-minded philosophy and skill set to get them primed and ready. I mean, this next weekend where they have Duluth could arguably be a primer for what the first round matchup looks like in three weeks. You know, and I think St. Cloud really needs that mental push and at least a victory this weekend to feel like they're in the ball game with Duluth, who has been a very good team this year. Mm -hmm. it, what do you expect from this St. Cloud team as we push down the stretch? We've got four regular season games left to go with a team above them in the standings and with a team right below them. You know, just to continue to try to refine their game, you know, they've, they've been a team that has been outshot almost every single game. But they're a team that doesn't back down. They're a team that counterpunches. They're a team that, you know, has good structure through all areas of the ice. Um, they play a very gritty, very lockdown style of defense. They've got two of the best goaltenders in the WCHA that's backstopping them. Uh, just continue to do what makes them successful, right? Uh, at the end of it, you can't worry. This is the point of the season where you just you can't worry about anybody else, right? It's out of your control. Control what you can. Um, I think you have to feel good about Wisconsin. Being that you, like you said, they could have they could have taken two games away from Wisconsin yeah. on the road, all things considered, right? Yeah. So I think that at the end of it, you like where you're at, and just don't change. You know, uh, uh, some teams when you get to the playoffs and you're in a position where you're the road team, right? You feel like you have to become Superman or Superwoman, right? Right. Um, at this point, it's like no, don't change what got you here. Just make sure that you're continuing to do the same things that got you here because that's what's going to give you the best chance uh, to keep moving forward, right? Um, the Huskies have a chance to win their first playoff game in God knows how long. Um, it's, yeah. it's, been, it's been a while. Um, and I'll say this, now, let's just let's just put it this way, and this is probably getting too far ahead of the conversation, but say they don't. Let's say that they run into a Duluth squad that is just right now a wagon because they are. yeah. yeah. I still think you're looking at, you know, how 
just the season itself has already been such a success. You, you know, know what's you know what's interesting. So St. Cloud overall is sixteen fifteen and zero on the season. Mm-hmm. If they win two more hockey games down the stretch, they will finish over five hundred for the first time since two thousand nine ten, where they were fifteen fourteen and eight. And calling that over five hundred is a bit gratuitous. Yeah, you know, I really. And, you know, the year before they were 15, 18, and 4. Really, since 2007-08, when they were 18, 15, and 5 is probably the close, or 18, 18, and 1 a couple years prior. It's been a long time coming for this program to hit this Mm -hmm. point here. The success that they've had right now can't be understated. And I think, you know, you and I share in that excitement. And I think, you know, from when we got there, I, you know, and this is no disrespect to anybody, but it, it, was, some, it was some tough hockey to watch. You know, it was tough yeah. to watch them get shelled by more than, you know, besides maybe one or two teams in WCHA, they were getting shelled every night to turn into this here. But I think it's also hard for us because at the same time, we want to be subdued because we know that the task is not done. We know that right. there's still a lot left to be. And it was tough for us to not to cut you off, Noah, that yeah. we saw, in a sense, we, we kind of have the vision that Adolski had when he took the job is that as we see that there was more to give here, um, that maybe there was a, a change in scenery that was needed, maybe a new voice, right? Um, and you never, it, it's it's never great when you you make a sort of a change up top because again, that's somebody losing the job, right? That's, yeah. that's never something we celebrate. But at the end of the day, sports is a results-driven business, right? And Unfortunately, for previous regimes, they just couldn't quite seem to put all the pieces together. Not to say that Adolski has put every single piece together here, but he certainly has put together quite the impressive turnaround for a team. And I think more impressively, in such a short margin. Yeah. I remember even when I called the game in R- at RPI, was it, I think, October 1st. And you could see the structure change. You could see the discipline on the ice in all three zones. And you could see that. The team was playing with just more hockey IQ, right? They were thinking the game better. And again, I, I went to this point earlier. This team's roster is not much different. Yeah. It's not. And, and some great hockey players that you and I have skated yeah, with personally. Really, really good players. And and obviously also really good people, obviously, yes. too. That, that team has got some really, really solid people. So to see them get rewarded like they are this year, for having maybe a, a, a gut check, right? Because again, I, I think Idolski would say, I kind of came in and I kind of said, here's a gut check. Here's what we're going to do. Either, you know, pretty much get on the bus or the bus is leaving you behind kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of see how that first conversation went a little bit. Yeah, you know, and I think the thing with, you know, you talked about the previous experience too with Janelle, you know, they knew what they wanted out of this program and they knew what this program was capable of. And I think it just, it took the right, right ideology to kind of unlock that a little bit here mm-hmm. and feel comfortable. And it just, it feels like a very tight knit group and a group that, you know, is accountable in the sense where, you know, I look at Janelle uh, and Brian, obviously both very nice humans to us, but I think about it from a, a player's perspective. I can't imagine, uh, you know, maybe Janelle a little bit more. So I can't imagine either of them though, or what I would characterize as a true players coach, like true buddy, buddy, right. They kind of remind me of coaches who come in and they say, okay, you know, like get the job done, get the job done. And we want to see you be accountable and, and see you get to that point. And kind of that, I don't want to say coach by fear, cause that's not the right concept, but coach no. by accountability, so to speak, Yeah. where it's like, I'm not going to be buddy, buddy to you. And, you know, 
support you in the sense that, you know, I'm going to pat you on the back every time you do something good and console you every time you do something wrong. It's almost like you play the role of a disappointed dad or mom when things don't go right. And you play the role of a stoic dad or mom when things are going right, where it's like, you're almost as, as the kid, AKA the players trying to continue to improve upon expectations that they've set for you. And you're disappointed almost in yourself as a result, when you see they're disappointed kind of thing, I kind of feel like that's where the mentality has changed. It's not this, you know, Oh, we play division one hockey and we're, we're just kind of hanging out and we're going to go through the motions. It's we're going to play D one hockey and we're going to be getting better every day. We're going to be more and more accountable as we go through this process every day. And you can see that the result on the ice has been exceptional. Everybody that I have talked to about this program that has tuned in for a Huskies women's hockey game, even the games where they've struggled a little bit, they've said, boy, this team's gotten better. Boy, this structure looks better. Boy, they're playing a lot better. You know, boy, they, they're much improved. Everybody I've talked to, I've not heard a single negative thing about the way the Huskies season has gone compared to, you know, recent years. And that's a hell of a testament to this coaching staff and to the players, some yep. very, very good players, a lot of international representation in this group. It's been mighty impressive. And to probably see. some tough conversations too, right? Because at the end of the day, as we yeah. mentioned before on the men's side, right? Uh, they're the ones that got to go out and execute. And, you know, could you make an argument that, you know, there, it was maybe some of that too, maybe, you know, maybe there was that, you know, lack of, shall we say, you know, player personal accountability too. Sure. We don't know what's happening in that locker room, but it's still also impressive that the players are taking the message they are running with it and you know it's one of those you know if you build a bridge they'll they'll walk over to what the hell whatever that saying is they're doing it right <laughs> you know nailed it yeah exactly nailed it <laughs> very much did not but you know i can show you the door you're the one that has to walk through it yeah. that's really what it is is idolski said hey this is if we play this way this is the door and you walk through it the results on the other side it's not going to be as easy as just walking through the door. There's going to be a lot of changes you have to make both on and off the ice. And we're going to make some structural tweaks here and there that we're going to play the game this way. And I want you to do it because otherwise I'm going to do the and close it. I'm going to open it up for somebody else. Yeah. And again, credit to the players for taking that message and buying know, in, buying in. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Certainly is going to be exciting here. Of course, St. Cloud will travel to Duluth this weekend. A big weekend matchup can't be understated anymore. Uh, St. Thomas, Ohio State will be the host of them. Bemidji State travels to Mankato. If you're a Huskies fan, you're definitely rooting for the Beavers in this weekend. Uh, and then Wisconsin travels to Minnesota, which should be another very good matchup. This is the 10th and 11th of February. Of course, only a couple more weeks left. Actually, two in the women's regular season before we hit playoffs in the WCHA. Very quickly, we're just going to pop over to the Minnesota Wild just to give you what's on tap. Like we said, we're going to touch on the Iowa Wild next week just because I think the St. Cloud things were a little bit more pressing, so I know we took a lot of time with that. The Wild 27-17-4 at 58 points. They are one point ahead of Colorado with the same number of games played at 48 Plus 13 goal differential has them third in the central by a single point. Of course, they didn't play this past week. It was the all-star game that was going on. What's on tap? Arizona on Monday, Dallas on Wednesday. Those are both on the road. And then they start a seven-game homestand. Vegas on Thursday, New Jersey on Saturday, followed by Florida, Colorado, Dallas, Nashville, and L.A. That game, L.A. will be Tuesday the 21st. So they're at home for the next two weeks. Um, they are five, four, and one in their last 10. So obviously the Wild 
uh, a very big moment for them to try to push through and hopefully uh, maybe towards a playoff berth in the National Hockey League. So with that being said, we're going to head on over to our extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. And welcome into the extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for episode 148. Nick, this is a story that uh, you and I have been working on, predominantly you, um, have been working <laughs> on in the past past you know week and a half or so um, based on some things that we've done, some digging and, and other things. We had a conversation two weeks ago in our extra ice session about the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center and the need for potential upgrades for them and the need for changes at the the structural institutional framework level, whatever you want to call it for the actual facilities um, to continue to make this a draw to play college hockey in the state of Minnesota in the Granite city. And we kind of thought, you know, with the university hemorrhaging money and all those things that a new building or renovations were a long way off and they're in kind of a difficult predicament, which I think was a fair assessment. But from some of the digging that we've done, Nick, it sounds like we might actually be a lot closer to some of those upgrades than we realized. So let's, let's paint the picture clearly for those who had missed it, right? A couple of weeks. So St. Thomas announcing their new arena, right? Uh, given a nice private $75 million gift from um, a very nice family. Uh, we'll leave it at that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we did ask the question, right? That is, you know, where does that put the Herbrooks National Hockey Center in terms of arenas for Division One hockey around us? And we said, not in a good spot. Mm-hmm. This this arena largely has had, I mean, some upgrades. Again, this year they upgraded the uh, LED screens. Um, so for the video boards, that's been long overdue. Uh, but there's still a lot of original stuff there. The uh, the seating, um, to name just the concourses, have largely, at least on one side of the building, have been untouched. So. We essentially, my first thought was, well, there's been this talk about the refrigeration, right? So, and that was first reported by the Rink Live in 2019. And essentially, that comes from um, a, a federal mandate, which uh, now three years after it took place. So, um, let's set the table clearly, right? So, St. Cloud's refrigeration system is original, it's almost 40 years old. It is, uh, shall we say, pumping Freon or what they call R22. It's now a banned substance in the United States. So not only is a 2020 import new, um, so the only thing you can do with it is recycle old used ones. For those who are running a hockey facility, you're not going to pump used mortar oil to try to, you know, chill your ice. That's just a recipe for disaster, right? So it's been on the radar uh, for the university for some time, right? Now their fear is because it's so old that well, what if things just crap out right now in that rink live article they made the case and i should say meaning you know at, i think it was uh, the athletics department made the case it's like hey they do a really good job maintaining this they have three units you use two at a time and then every year they like rebuild one so they kind of like rotate two every essentially every year right but they also know that the time's running out right so and now with the refrigerant that they can't get anymore they realize hey we need to we need a we need a solution right and we're talking we're talking within the next five years if not less yeah not less so here's what we found there is a current bid out there Mm -hmm. to replace the ice rink floors 
in the entire refrigeration system. And not only that, what we also found is that in the, in the same bid, and, and some of these details were confirmed by sources inside St. Cloud, they were not authorized to speak publicly because this is in the bidding process. We'll get to why that's important here in a second. But effectively, they've also in the same bid want to replace existing mechanical, electrical, and building control systems that are still original. They also want to do a lighting upgrade um, mm -hmm. to LEDs. Um, so why is that important? Well, the metal halide bulbs that they use at the Herb, um, they're hot. Um, and also for those who've been to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center uh, before this year, they replaced the bulbs to be the same color temperature, but they weren't all the same color. Essentially, yeah. somewhere like a, a brighter white, somewhere what they call it's, a soft white. It's you know, not so, well lit and it creates yeah. a lot of energy consumption. Correct. Um, more so to LED lights is these LED video boards are actually creating kind of a back shadow on the ice too because of how bright they are. So uh, that's actually creating issues with the broadcast team um, because of uh, white balancing, exposure, all that good jazz, right? So um, there is that. So more of an energy thing, right? Um, and also it sounds like some HVAC upgrades. So um, heating, cooling, just general building stuff. So there is a bid out there for this to take place. Now, here's the problem. So how does this all get paid for, right? So, oh my God, Nick, like the, the university is hemorrhaging students. You're right, they are. Um, so how, do, how does this get paid for? So under Minnesota State, colleges when we did some digging i found that any project over five hundred thousand dollars in total cost must be put out for a public bid yep. and if it is infrastructure related so because the ice floor is part of its concrete foundation yep. um technically that's considered infrastructure so basically structural integrity to the building you can place a bid for state legislative funding for that Whereas with the video boards, again, more of a comfort feature, if you want to call it. Yeah, aesthetics. Um, so aesthetics, speak. right? Yeah. Um, that was all done by the fundraising. That was actually, I think, uh, you know, uh, Reach for the Future, whatever that uh, program was a couple of years ago. Um, so that was paid for by uh, privately raised funds. This is would be asking for bids and then going to the legislature and then trying to get state money to fix this. So... Here's what's insane about this, Noah, is that when you do this type of work, it's not just going into the back, taking out the compressors and replacing the compressors, right? You are yeah. digging up both concrete floors, which means you're taking out everything, right? You're relaying all the pipe work. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty in-depth process. Yeah. And uh, it's something that the Rink Live uh, original article back in 2019 had mentioned that is, there's extra complications to this project. And that is a water table issue, which we've talked about before. And also that, you know, let's go back to Mirauchi. Mirauchi is shrinking its Olympic sheet to more of a hybrid. That's been floated um, in the rink live thing, right? So here's the thing. If you're going to do, and this is my opinion, if you're going to do the concrete floors, you need to replace the boards. You got to take the boards out anyway. You got to redo the entire concrete floor. Yeah. Now, you can't, just because of the dimension that's of the Harbrooks National Hockey Center, there's no way you could shrink. There's been people that I've talked to in the past that said, well, you know, Colorado College went from Olympic to uh, NHL sheet. Couldn't the Herb do that? No, because at Robeson's a brand new building. The dimensions yeah. and where the seating is, that's just, that's not possible. The sight lines would not be good. Um, but the lighting would be good for energy consumption. Um, and, and again, the, the board situation, I think 
I mean, those are the original boards. I think I would think if you're going to do the yeah. uh, the concrete, well, replace the boards. I mean, those are. I don't want to say like, you know, city ring style because they are. Yeah. I there's been especially with the stanchion of the glass because you know the full metal. You know, those the pucks going around the glasses. It's just not similar it's, to NHL style. So it it seems like the sentiment of not only taking care of the necessities, your floor, you know, the HVAC systems, things that are important here. It seems of the mind that a lot of this wants to be taken care of in one fell swoop. So you talk about the boards, the glass, things like this, where they're hoping to maybe try to put all of this together in one piece. And then well, maybe you think about some of the aesthetic pieces as well, too. We talk a little bit about the press box potentially having its own actual press box, its own actual suite and things on that side of the rink, too. So a couple of things, you know, I want to make sure we're clear on this. Um, the boards are not part of this bidding package and right. neither is the press box. These are just ideas that if you're going to do it right. And granted, the press box was an afterthought. What's I mean? Even yeah. I mean, there's been people have talked to that have said, "Yeah, no, that kind of was right." Call, calling um, it a press box is a bit is just it's, yeah. it's a it's a glorified counter. It kind of is. Um, so, which is what prompted our conversation two weeks ago that says, "Well, I mean, there's not much room to work with either, just because of the way this building is is structured, right?" Yeah. Um, now, with some of the upgrades that they've already have done again the sound system i know there's been at least whispers of sound treatment um but at the end of the day the situation with the refrigeration is dire to say the least yes. and, and i say dire in the terms of it's not like there's a thought that the equipment could fail like we look at it there's a leak and it's going to go haywire right but the fear is if the system just happens to just break down and you need to replace it, you're kind of SOL right now. And I would love to at some point figure out if there ever would be a contingency plan, or and I would imagine there is one. But what would that look like? Right? Let's just say that tomorrow the Huskies woke up, went to go to practice, and the main rink is just completely gone, right? Now, I imagine because it's the same refrigeration units doing both rings, both rings would be screwed. So what do you do in that situation, right? So... Uh, but you're definitely trying to make these repairs or shall I say upgrades before it becomes a problem. Right. Um, and I don't know. Uh, at the end of the day, these are, shall we say that, you know what the most intriguing thing about this is what's that also, we've talked about how the university with their hemorrhaging money too. you know, we have this idea too, that any sort of upgrades that are necessities would be, you know, somewhere maybe 2 million, $3 million, that sort of thing. It kind of seems like just based on some of the parameters that have been laid out, I, you know, and this is probably purely speculation, but just kind of based on what things cost, we might be pushing closer to about $10 million here. That's when you, just for the refrigeration. Yeah. Um, because again, it's not just replacing the unit. You're digging up the concrete floor. You're doing additional work um, considering the water table. You're relaying all new piping. Um, so that to me, if I were to have a guess would be, I would think that's at least the start of it. I would say yeah. it could pump up closer to 15, if not 20 million by it's yeah. all said and done. Um, and if you are hopefully, and, and this is one thing that is, uh, shall we say, everybody knows how state legislative funding works, right? Is that you bid it out, you say, here, here's what we need. 
this is how much money we think it's going to cost because this is we we put this to a bidding process. We picked this construction company or whatnot. And, and mind you, we do have the actual bid in front of us as I speak. Uh, the actual one that's out there that was listed by Saint Cloud. Mind you, this was put out there in 2021. Yeah. Um. So and and, and that kind of gives you an idea. We also talked about there's not a surplus, so to speak, of state funding, but there is no. definitely definitely a piece of this here too. But the timing of this, when you're looking at a bid that's almost from two years ago, I I would speculate that we're a lot farther along in this process than I think a lot of us realize. Correct. And for no. those who are for those who are curious, by the way, um, do you mind? Uh, you know how how where do people go to find some of this information uh, if I they want to Google search? If literally. they want to look at the bid themselves, is there a website yeah. that they can go to? Yeah. So. It's I Google search Herb Brooks National Hockey Center refriger- refrigerator, and there's a link that is uh, called Construction Journals um, is where I found this. Now, if you went to Construction Journals by itself, um, it looks like there's a paywall that's there. So this was kind of stumbled upon when I was doing some research. Um, but here's the caveat to this whole thing, Noah. Here's the one thing that we found about legislative funding and public universities. When you put a bid out there as the athletics department or the Herbrush National Hockey Center, you are putting a bid congruently with the rest of the university. Right. So which means that when legislative funding goes to a public university, they are not allowed to fund a specific project. Right. The university has to allocate those funds appropriately based on what they feel is necessary. So essentially saying you, if you get, let's say you get, $100,000 and you have four places that need help, you don't have to give $25,000 to each of those four places. You can divvy it up how you want. You're allowed to do what you want with those funds, but you, you have to be the determinant on how those funds get allocated. Correct. So in other words, this bid goes in congruence with some other projects. I believe that St. Cloud has got some other building of projects such as the power plant and I think also an education building that is looking for funding too. And you're submitting it as one bid for one chunk of change, right? And this is the part that we have to kind of suppress the excitement a bit here, right? And that is just again with the refrigeration, you're looking at no less than 10 million bucks, right? Let's just say the university gets, let's just say it's 50 million, just even number, right? And they're only able to give say I would say 12 million to the project. That means no LED lights. Um, that means, you know, probably no HVAC. They're probably just going to go, you know what? The refrigeration is dire. Let's at least get that done and then maybe resubmit something yeah. at a later date, the, right? The so essentials are obviously important. here, Right. So, and this is the, and that's why this is different, right? Is that is the money doesn't go to the herb. It goes to the university and then it's the university in one big essentially pool allocates it into now, whatever they choose. Now, obviously, not all of us have deep pockets like uh, some families near St. Thomas, but right. uh, in the eventuality that this becomes an ongoing process, let's say the university at some point confirms this is a process, they put a bid out, they're going to get state funding for this. Can there also be a component too where the university itself is also allowed to fundraise separately or I guess in conjunction in some senses 
to maybe say, oh, we're looking to raise an extra $3 million so we can do something with the lights. We can do something with the press box. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I feel like that if I'm a Huskies fan, obviously I, I could probably donate about $5 total based on where I'm at in my current life. But I would feel like if you're a Huskies fan and you know that this project is in full swing and, you know, if it if it ends up happening where you have to tear up the floor, I would feel like we would, as a fan base, would love to be all in on this thing. Wouldn't you agree? I would think so. Um, now, granted, you know, that's sort of sort of the good thing is I think the number one thing they want it. So let's look at this in two ways, right? Because what they're really focused on is, well, this is a 40-year-old building. It needs a remodel. And it needs a remodel in its essentially, I, I was going to use the same word twice, back to back. It's essential building functionality, like ASAP. refrigeration, HVAC. And although there's not a direct indication that some of these systems are like, shall we say, about to fail, but it's also like the 30 years old. It's just like if you have a 30 year old furnace at home, some days it's just going to, you turn and turn, it's just not going to work, right? Yeah. That's yeah the fear. Our, our stats machines are from like the 90s that are up in the press box and the telephones. I, I don't even know if anybody has a landline that looks like that anymore. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I mean, it would be great because there is a state budget surplus this year. It would be great if they were able to get enough funding for all of it. And then, like I said, if, you, if you're going to dig up the concrete floors, I'm not sure how much boards and glass would cost, but, you know, throw that up there um, if, if oh, you can. Yeah, you know, some, new boards you and, some new new boards and glass with new LED lighting would look real pretty. Really, really good. Um, now, you know, again, the the primary, from what I understand, the primary goal of this is to at least, at, at the very least, get the refrigeration unit replaced, right? At the very little. The one thing that is sort of kind of crappy is that as far as, um, shall we say fan comfort upgrades, none that I can see. So as far as part two is what I would call it, like the sound treatments, because yeah. they did get new speakers, right? But again, it's a concrete and metal roof with no really any tuning, right? That from from all I can gather, there's nothing that I can find that says they're working anything like that and yeah. probably a good thing, right? Um, as much as I want to have better sound in there, there's other more pressing issues. Um, there's nothing I see about seating. There's nothing I see about concourse redevelopment, right? Um, but here's something else I found. Let's just say that uh, that Chinese weather balloon actually had a bomb in it. It dropped at Herbush <laughs> National Hockey Center and dropped it and just exploded the whole building, right? We talked about, well, could they get a new building? Although financially, realistically, is it really not feasible at the moment? No, it's not. We had thought, well, could they go to the soccer scene? That's out, that's out of the question. But yeah. what I did find is that land that's south of that parking lot of the Herb, yep. the university owns all of that. And it wouldn't surprise me that if Doomsday Zombie Apocalypse happened or that same family decided, you know what? That was kind of rude of me. I only gave $75 million to one university in Minnesota. <laughs> let, me, let me make sure St. Cloud's got their fair share too. Um, that would be a place that they could build there too. So it's it's they have options. But as far as fan experience upgrades are concerned, I don't see any, but and that, need. And that's where I bring the private aspect of this too. Not to say not everybody has millions of dollars sitting that they can just freely no. give. And we get that. But at the same but time. It's right off. So if you do, do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I still, I still feel like along that point though, if you know that definitive upgrades essentially happen to the Herbricks National Hockey Center, I don't know, as a fan base, like I said, I would be a little gung-ho where it's like, oh, if we raise $2 million, we can get 
padded seats so we can get seats you know, need to be changed for sure. Yeah, some There's of these question. some um, of these things that make Huskies hockey great. You look at some of these new buildings, St. Thomas, Sacred Hearts beautiful new building, Yukon's getting a new arena. How nice would it be for St. Cloud as we talked about in our previous opportunities to cement themselves in the NCHC with a beautiful building, a great hockey team regardless of what you think about our previous discussion. Right. And a great fan base that would I don't know. I don't know. We talked about attendance. I don't know how you don't pack that building every night if you have right. new aspects of that building. So another question that we looked at, Noah, and that is, so back in 2013, when they did that whole atrium rebuild, right, where they added the suites and the, the new entrance, all yeah. the good jazz. Looks nice. Really nice, right? Well, part of that project, if you remember, was they wanted to renovate the other half, too. They wanted yeah. that concourse that included, I believe, a press box expansion as well. Um, now, again, I looked into see if I could find anything that would have maybe revitalized that. I didn't see that. Um, so here's my guess, right? Let's just say that they do get a stroke of luck and able to fix at least the refrigeration. I, I think if you get the refrigeration, I'm going to put my bet on it. They will replace the boards on the glass because you're only going to be tapping into the concrete anyway. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, and why and probably the lighting just because in the long run, the save energy costs might help pay for that expenditure, yep. so to speak. Yep. And then I think what you're going to see is, and, and hopefully, and this is where I'm a little bit scared, and this is where I will be real with you guys all, is there's no question that attendance across all public universities post-pandemic is down. Yep. There's no question about that. If we are able, at least able to kick it back up or at least stop the bleeding i do think there is a at least some want to redo that second half to go back to that 2013 master plan and get that proper press box right to expand and, and finish that uh, remodel of that side of the concourse right um I, I do think again the seats are original those seats have to be replaced at some point those are uncomfortable seats um I don't know if, just, if, if they are seats, depending on where you're sitting. Right, exactly. Um, so who knows? And if I don't know, like there's a, there's so much that has to be done. Um, it's good that at least that they're recognizing. And again, this is like almost like repairs that need to happen kind of thing. Um, I, I just I hope that, we, you know, the university can make a push to where it's like, you know, you know, we, we need it. We need to do more. And I know it's tough, especially considering the the complexity of the issue with finances, enrollment, everything like that. But I also know that the state of Minnesota has a budget surplus. I think if you're going to swing, you take this bid that's we know is out there. I think you add as much as you can to it. Yeah. And you swing for the fences. Um, include the boards. Hell, put the sound treatment in there. If you want, throw the press box in there. I, I can't imagine a press box renovation would cost you that much money. Um, yeah. But then if you can get enough of those funds, right, then, okay, do as much as you can with it. Um, because there's not going to be many opportunities to get this kind of funny. Remember, the Herbrooks National Hockey Center was part of an Olympic spending package. It wasn't like towards Minsky. It was part of other construction projects, and it was just one yeah. piece of that. That's how state legislative funding works, right? It's kind of like one pork barrel after one pork barrel, right? And I say that with quotations, but it's like when you see an opportunity where there's extra money lying around, you kind of have to go all in on it. And I, I kind of hope that they do. Now, again, this is 
just what's out there. We don't know if there's other conversations that have been had. Um, And I, and I think that's the most encouraging piece of this too, Nick is we had this idea that, Oh, something needs to be done, but we are so far off from that. It doesn't sound like we're as far off as we had anticipated. This sounds like it's been an ongoing process for the past couple of years that we are hopefully inching closer to. And I, I, I can't imagine within the next five years that we won't hear something on it, if not less, just because of what we know about the current refrigeration system. I definitely think there's going to be a, a big push here um, that maybe well, we'll hear about, maybe we don't hear about, but I think we're a lot closer than people had originally thought. Right. Well, and, and here's and here's where you can take the, refriger- the refrigeration story. Again, the, the federal mandate of 2020, where now you can't, produce it new you can only use recycled again they uh the the herb purchased like 500 pounds or so of it back in 2019 i believe just to, to sort of have some on hand but you're putting a band-aid over uh, a chopped um, limb right it's you're buying time the one thing you have going for the university in this situation is you are up against the clock this is a needed repair but again in, when some of these projects arise um, you kind of have to again swing for the fences, and again two, two with birds, the lighting, stone. Yeah. right? And I would say even more, right? So refrigeration hurt because you have to dig out the concrete. Go ahead, replace the boards. Again, that's not part of the original bid, but replace them if you can. The lighting, great because not only for um, the broadcast quality, the aesthetics, but also you know for fan experience. That's all part of that energy consumption. HVAC that all has to be replaced. Again, that's also part of energy consumption, um, and that goes along with St. Cloud's plan. Um, externally with the power plant um, on campus. If you're trying to modernize that, I know that's been a part of a plan for multiple years. So it, you can sort of make the argument that they're doing essentially a modernization of its current buildings and these are needed funds. Um, the only downside is, is, you know, as far as direct fan experience or what the fans could directly impact from these, probably not as of yet, but, I would dare to say that if we can get these repairs behind us and some of these other fixes, that opens the door to say, hey, we've done a lot of these upgrades, some of them obviously necessary, some with the video boards, some more aesthetics, but you know, we feel like we need a couple more pieces such as the seating, such as the concourses, and that's where you can really push for more of that fundraising sort of you know campaign type style um, of effort to get some of those other last bit of pieces fixed and, and, and redone. And I think this is a big part of that. So um, let's recap just so we know, right? Um, so bid here's what the actual bid is. Replacing the refrigeration, which again is new piping, new compressors. It's pumping new fluid. And for those curious, it's two fluids out there you can use. And that is one, um, it's, uh, oh geez, hold on. It's either liquid um, hydrogen oh. or it's a, uh, it's R212, R212. And it's uh, like, it's a basically acidic version. And it's, uh, shall we say, something you, they probably don't want. Or liquid CO2, that's what it is, liquid yeah. CO2. Um, and one is R212 um, is the other refrigerant um, that they can pump now under guidelines. Um, also, um, existing mechanical, electrical, and building control systems to um, upgrade those and modernize those. Um, LED lighting, um, again, to reduce heat gain. Again, also energy consumption. And again, this bid is telling us that if everything on this bid was fixed, it would be an anticipated 35% reduction in energy use and carbon emissions and the writing and from the lighting replacements up to 10 to 20% reduction from the HVAC upgrade. So that's quite a significant 
yeah. you know, saving an energy cost just from those two there. And then from our standpoint, if you're going to go with those, our hope is, okay, just do the boards. You're ripping out the concrete anyway. You have to rip out the boards to do it anyway. Put new boards and put new glass and modernize that to have the seamless glass in there. Make it more NHL style. Um, that's good for the players too because, again, it's, it's a developmental type process. You want them to play on a sheet or in a, you know, in an environment that they can seamlessly transition into an NHL style or a pro style, right? So do the boards. Um, and while you're at it, you know what? Should the this is talked about before, Noah, and it will end on this. Should they at this point, because they'll have to dig up their practice ring too, if they're going to keep it to what we believe is a hybrid, at least at the very max, at the minimum for the main sheet, I would argue that now is also the right time. If you're going to do the boards in the main rink, might as well do the boards in the minor rink. Make that NHL size yep. or practice yep. size. I think that would be another option I would see. Because also you could put some more seating in there because, remember, St. John's uses that arena. Yeah. Um, a lot of the St. Cloud Area uh, Hockey Associations use that arena, too, for theirs. Um, it would be a much better seating for that spot, too. So that's what also yeah. what I would – on my wish list. What about your wish list? Yeah, you could kind of put like a little small little bowl type thing in there, too. You know, obviously it wouldn't yeah. hold more than maybe 100 or 200 people. But, I mean, oh, you could still – you could do something with it, which I think would obviously be impressive. And, you know, the thing is, too – it sounds like, you know, in terms of speculation, the way that we kind of figured it at minimum, $10 million, if not more. So it's definitely yeah. going to be something that's going to be a hard push here too. Um, I would love to see the press box upgrades like we talked about just because I think that that's something aesthetically would just give it more of that professional feel when you feel like the broadcasters are in their own little world, so to speak, because you you truly feel the separation, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to those sorts of things. So I would love to see the press box um, would be one of the things on my list too. And then of course, fan comfort, just little things, you know, maybe even it's little things inside the concourse that maybe just need a little bit of touch up. Maybe you're adding an extra concession stand. Maybe you're widening a hallway by a couple of feet to make the concourse a little more accessible. You walk down, you know, the ends on either side of that concourse, it can be kind of a tight squeeze sometimes when you're roaming around in there trying to get around that building. So I think there's a lot of really exciting things that are going to come out of this, hopefully, um, for what it seems like the process has already been started, which is something that I don't think we anticipated. So mm -hmm. uh, that's a very exciting thing. I'm still stuck on the fact I was still stuck when you said Band-Aid over a chopped off limb. And I'm like, no, use a tourniquet and cauterize it. But uh, Huskies can probably <laughs> use all the help they can get uh, with their chopped off limbs, so to speak, if Nick wants to allude it that way. Is there anything else you wanted to add here? I, I mean, I think this is exceptional that it seems like. No, it's good. Um, you know, you know, again, I, I think we just had this idea like 2018, 2019, that the 2013 project was a bygone era and maybe they'll do something to salvage it for a little bit. But it seems like there's a serious, formidable plan in place and much closer than we think. Yeah, more so again to the necessary repairs. Again, the actual bid is um, to recap for the third time um, to replace the refrigeration system. I just want to make sure we're clear what the university on paper has asked for yeah. and what and trying to separate. I, how about what, how about this? Instead of recapping it, uh, maybe for the second time, uh, again, where do fans go for the website to find some of this information for themselves? So, so Google search, just type in Herbrook's National Hockey Center refrigerator, and the link was about halfway down the Google search is called Construction Journal. And that's where the university has placed um, that project up for bid. Again, it's required for any legislative funding project to go to a state university. It has to be bidded out if it's over $500,000. Um, again, estimated cost, at least for refrigerant, 
uh, change at least 10 million, although it wouldn't uh, wouldn't surprise me if the total project was closer to probably 20. Um, if you include uh, the lights and the HVAC and all that stuff and you throw the boards in there, what up, maybe 25, 30. Uh, yeah. But again, that's not in the actual thing. That's just our, like, if you're going to do it, like, go big, right? So. Yeah, and the neck max and press box, obviously. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, this going to be the Jim Rich press box, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with, with that being said, obviously very exciting things going on in Huskies hockey, including the men's team. Support the men's team. They're doing just fine. And this women's program, only one weekend series left at home coming in two weeks. Be there or be square. The playoff push is in full swing. Of course, Minnesota Wild back in action, too, for the second half of their second half of their season as well, too. And we will, of course, be here to cover it all. So like we mentioned, men's hockey off this weekend. They are on the road in North Dakota the following weekend. Women's hockey on uh, the road this weekend up in Duluth. Minnesota Wild, four games set for them this week. And, of course, we'll have some Iowa Wild stuff to discuss next week as well. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.